this pastor here at True Life. We're glad that you're here. We hope that you come back if this is your first time and, and uh, be with us. I want to bring a message to you today that we're, we're, we're calling Jesus from eternity past to eternity future. And this is based on what you saw with the kids this morning and vacation Bible school this past week. Uh, you know, the, 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 the theme of Vacation Bible School was Time Lab, discovering Jesus from eternity past to, to eternity future. And so, really, we could, we could just as well title this message, The Eternal Jesus. The Eternal Jesus. We're talking about the theological doctrine, the eternality of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. And uh, when we say that, what we're saying is that Jesus is God. So he has no beginning. He always has been. He always is. And he always will be. Amen. He is eternal. Now, when we think about this, you know, we, we think about it in a time way, uh, a lineal uh, of way of thinking, we can think about it in terms of a straight line. Just to, you know, that's, that's usually how we think about chronology and, and time. And so Jesus is, in terms of his eternality, is a straight line with arrows on either end. I mean, there's no beginning, there's no ending. He has always been, and He is always exactly who He is. Amen? He said, I am. And, uh, and so, that's what we're looking at today. Now, our kids, you know, they learned about eternality. When we, when we think about Jesus... Actually, you know, all of his attributes, all the, 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 the nature of Jesus, it might be more accurate to think about him in terms of infinitude. Because all of his, all of his attributes are without end. There is no end to his truth. There is no end to his uh, mercy. There is no end to his grace. There's no end to his holiness. There's no end to his righteousness. He is always and always has been eternal and infinite. He is the eternal Son of God. So our kids have learned some amazing truths that would turn all of our lives upside down and right side up if we really learned these truths and, and knew them and understood them and lived them. Amen? And so, we're going to look at some of the truths that our kids in Vacation Bible School saw this week. I talked to Miss Leanne uh, about it, and she gave me basically the overview of what they covered in each day. So, we're going to use that as our outline, basically. First of all, Monday was Jesus before and at creation. Tuesday, Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, Wednesday, Jesus in the New Testament. Thursday, Jesus now. And Friday, Jesus in the future. The eternality of Jesus. So, first of all, let's look at Jesus before and at creation. As we've already said, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He was the eternal Son of God in the past. Now, and he will be in the future. Amen? If you believe that, say amen. amen. Now, he has been and is the Son of God, God the Son, the creator of all things. I want us to look at three passages in this first point. First of all, Genesis chapter 1. When you look in Genesis, you see the creation of all things. And the first line of Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created. Now, 
Um, in particular, in verse 26, we see, Then God said, Let us, notice these pronouns, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the seas, over the birds of the air, over the cattle of the earth, over, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, understand that the very name of God in the Hebrew te- uh, Old Testament, Elohim, is in plural form. It's the plural of the word El. Elohim is plural for El. And so what this is showing us is indicating that God was speaking even at that moment of creation. He was speaking the world into existence in the triune Godhead that He is. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit active all together in tandem to create all of the, whole, all of the world, all of, of creation. All right, so that's what we need to see there. In the second scripture, John chapter 1, he was with God and he was God. And we see in verse, verses 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and, and the, the, the Word there is the translation from the Greek logos. And so the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, what do we see by this? Well, we see that this word, this logos in the English word, uh, is, was with God and was God. And the word, the logos, created everything. There was not anything made that was made that he did not Create Absolutely nothing was left out of what this Logos created. Now, who is this talking about? Well, we're going to see it in a minute. In the beginning, all we get is a description in the first few verses of chapter 1. But finally, we're going to find out in a moment who that is. We see that the Logos created everything. Now, if he created everything, that means that he himself, by nature, is uncreated. If that makes sense to you, say amen. Amen. Alright? Only something that is uh, or someone who is uncreated can create in the sense that we see it in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 or John 1 verses 1 through 3. He created everything. That means he was uncreated beginningless and eternal, without beginning and without ending. We've already said that. So this, this shows also that he was there before anything else. Just like we saw in Genesis 1, we're seeing the same thing here in John chapter 1, that Jesus, in the, the second person of the triune God, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was there before all of this was created. He was there with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And so we see by that what we call the pre-existence of Christ. And by definition, when you add all this up together, it gives a, a pretty good description of what or who God is. Amen? In verse 14, we also see that he became flesh. That is the incarnation. When he took upon himself human flesh. When he, as it were, put his tent pegs down. You know, he, he, he moved in among us. And, and so, and dwelt among us. That's what the, the, the picture is behind that. And so, he is has taken on himself the human, uh, the, the nature of humankind. We also see in verse 14, we, we have seen him as of the only Son of the Father, full of, of, of grace, uh, seen his sort glory. We've seen his glory. We see that he was glorious. 
And this speaks also, of again, of the fact that he was in relationship being the eternal Son of God. That is, that he came from the Father, eternally coming forth from the Father, as it were. Now, that'll blow your mind, won't it? Try to think about that for a while. But that's, that's what we see here. He was eternally coming forth from the Father, begotten of the Father, only begotten of the Father. That means He's the one and only of His kind that was in unity or one in essence with Father God. It's talking about the Holy Trinity. And we don't have really time to, to, to delve in all, all that, 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 you know, that we could say and all the scriptures that deal with the Holy Trinity. But that's what it's referring to. He was one in essence with the Father. He was God, the second person of the Trinity. Of the Trinity. As of yet, in this passage, we don't know who it's talking about. I mean, not in name. We've got a great description. I'm, I'm going to tell you that in Africa, when you sit down with a Muslim person and you talk about John 1 and you, sh you show them in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and was God and created all things. And then you take them to verse 14 and, and show them that, that, he was, uh, that He took on flesh, that He was incarnate, that He was before all things and then He came into existence as taking on human flesh. You can ask them, who's that talking about? And oftentimes they'll say, well, that's Jesus. So just by the description, we know that it's Jesus, but we don't get that until verse 17. We see there that he says, for, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. There it is. That's our Lord. That's our God, the Son of God, God the Son, the eternal creator of all things. Now let's, let's look at another passage that speaks of Jesus before and, and at creations. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. I want us to see here the preeminence of Christ. That he was first place. That he was highest in rank or in position. Let's look at the preeminence of Christ in, in Colossians 1. Now this passage, really verses 15 through 20, is believed by many to be an early creed of the New Testament Christians, or a hymn, basically, that they used in worship after Christ went back to heaven. And so you have, in verses 15 through 17, the preeminence of Christ in creation, and then in verses 18 through 20, the preeminence of Christ in his church. But we're looking at 17 through, excuse me, 15 through 17. Dr. Craig Blomberg, one of the leading uh, New Testament scholars of our day, talks about this. And he says that, that it was probably being used as a hymn in worship within two years of his resurrection. Think about that. All these folks that, 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 you know, don't believe God's word and that criticize God's word and say that God's word is just, you know, all the teachings of Jesus, all the, all the, the, the New Testament writings of Jesus Christ, all of that's mythology, all of it's legend that, that was just passed on and on. And, 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 and so it became legend and you can't really trust in it. What Dr. Craig Blomberg is, is saying is that it, within two years, folks, that is not enough time by definition for a legend to be born. This completely blows that idea out of the water, takes the air out of that idea. And so what we're seeing is that the Jesus was preeminent in creation and in his church that early in time. Now we're going to see here in, uh, in this, this ver verses 15 through 17 two declarations about the supremacy of Christ and then four reasons or other statements about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. First of all in verse 15 he is the image of God. The image of God. The word image is icon. Does that sound familiar? It's transliterated transliterated, actually, into the English, icon. It's the same word. The meaning is copy or likeness. 
The spelling's different, but the word's the same. Copy or likeness. Christ is the exact likeness of the invisible God. It's the same idea that you see in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Where we see that He is the exact representation of God. So much so that he could say to Philip, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen? If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. Secondly, he's supreme over all creation. Also in verse 15, he says, the firstborn of all creation. Notice the word firstborn. Now, obviously, we know that at least one usage of that is the first uh, firstborn, the first in birth. But it can also be translated, and oftentimes is in God's holy word, first in rank, in position, or supreme. And frankly, in this passage, the second is the only possible way that it can be translated. Here's where the Jehovah's Witnesses get messed up. They, they say just like the Gnostics did of that time and that day. You see, what you, under, what you need to understand is that Paul, in argument here, was destroying the, the Gnosticism that is a belief that was propagated in that day and time. The belief was that we, had, we needed intermediaries intermediate beings between us and God and that Jesus was one of those included with other angels that we should also worship. Very much like what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe of today and propagate of today. Mormons have a a similar problem because they don't believe in the triune God. They believe that God the Father, God the the, the Son, God the Holy Spirit each of them were God separate from each other, not one in, in, in essence. But we know from Scripture they're one in essence, three in person. Again, we don't have time to go through all the Scriptures and talk about the Trinity. But those are some of the things that you see here. So he's firstborn. The point is, Jesus was first over all creation, not the first of the created beings. And I would just say to folks that have, have problems with this. I would say to them. How can the creator of everything that was created. Also be one of that creation that he created. How can that work? So. He gives four reasons for his supremacy. Notice the four, F-O-R, in verse 16. For by him all things were created. And so this four, it shows causality. And so for this reason, or for these reasons, number one, because he is the creator. Verse 16, by him all things were created. We've already talked about that. Secondly, because he is the goal of creation. Verse 16, also, all things were created through him, or by him, and for him. That is, for his pleasure, for his glory. Everything that was made is pointing to Jesus Christ. He is the goal of all things that he has created. It's for his pleasure and for his glory. Amen? Amen. And then number three, because he is eternal. Verse 17, and he is before all things. This is what we were talking about a while ago. Again, when the universe began, he was already there in existence. He was pre-existent of all creation. Why? Because he was the one that created it all. And so, he's eternal. Fourth, because he is the sustainer of creation. Verse 17, in him all things hold Together, not only did he create it all, but he keeps it all going. Amen? I mean, he's got the power to create it. He's got the, the, the power to keep it going. It's by the logos, the word of God. 
He himself is the word. And by his word and by his will, he keeps everything going. He keeps everything within balance. That's why we don't get too close to the sun and burn up. That's why we don't get too far away from the sun and freeze to death. He keeps it all in balance. He keeps it all going the way he wants. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Now the summary of all this together is that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is the eternal creator, ruler, and sustainer of all things. He's preeminent, supreme, king, and God of all flesh. Amen. Amen. So that's number one. Number two, you know, Jesus in creation. Secondly, Jesus in the Old Testament. Understand that every time you see God appearing to someone in the Old Testament, whether it's God spoke to, God uh, uh, appeared to, God came down and appeared to, the angel of the Lord appeared to, some, whatever it is, uh, where God appears to someone in the Old Testament, you need to understand that Jesus, the second person of the triune God, was there too. He was also there. How do you know that? Because Jesus said, I and the Father am one. Amen? He was there. And so a theophany or a Christophany. Theophany is is an appearance of God in the Old Testament. A Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. You see examples of these. And there are many we're just gonna, I'm just going to name a few of them. For example, the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Or when God promised Abraham that he would have a son in Genesis chapter 18. And then he also told him that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Or when Jacob wrestled with God in Genesis 32. Or when the commander of the Lord's army appeared to Joshua in Joshua 5. All of those and and many others, I believe uh, we can call them Christophanies. You can make an argument that all the theophanies where God appeared uh, were also Christophanies because Jesus was there. Amen? Now that's not really difficult to accept if you understand that Jesus is, is in every book of the Bible. He's on every page. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus appeared after his resurrection to two disciples. Do you remember? They were on their way back from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus went with them and walked with them. And he began to explain to them. It says, from Moses and all the prophets, all the things concerning himself. Now, You know, we would think, I mean, him rising from the dead would be enough, wouldn't it? (laughs) But somehow Jesus thought, well, it's it's necessary that I explain to this couple of disciples that I was on every page. I am in every book of the Old Testament. 1,500, excuse me, yeah, 1,500 writers, no, 1,500 years, over 1,500 years, excuse me. 30 writers, about 30 writers that God used to pen the Old Testament. And Jesus is there. Uh, um, J.D. Greer imagined what... J.D. Greer is the president of, of our Southern Baptist Convention now. He imagined what that must have sounded like. You know, Jesus explaining uh, to this couple... And it may, have, it may have been a man and a woman. It may have been a man and his wife. We don't know for sure. But can you just imagine what he said to them? How that he's in all of the Old Testament? Can you imagine how he opened their eyes and illuminated their understanding to where he was in the Old Testament? Now, he, might have, he, he probably used son of man when he talked to him about it. But he, he was talking about himself, so he could have just as easily used I. Can you imagine what he said? Wouldn't that have been neat? He, said, he could have said, in Genesis, I was the word of God, creating the heavens and the earth. In Exodus, the Passover lamb. 
whose blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of your heart so that you could escape the bonds of slavery. In Leviticus, the temple, the holy place where you met with God. In Numbers, I was your ever-present guide, your pillar of cloud by day, your pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, I was the prophet coming who is greater than Moses. In Joshua, the conquering warrior leading you into the promised land. In Judges, I was the broken Savior rising up to rescue you. In Ruth, I was your kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, I was the pure-hearted shepherd king who rushed out to conquer the giant. In First and Second Kings, the righteous ruler. First and Second Chronicles, the restorer of the kingdom. In Ezra, the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, I was your advocate, risking my life to restore you to royalty. In Job, I was your living redeemer. In the Psalms, I was the one who hears your cries. In Proverbs, I am wisdom personified. In Ecclesiastes, I am the meaning that lets you escape the madness. In the Song of Solomon, I am your lover and your bridegroom. In Isaiah, I was the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, wounded for your transgressions and bruised for your iniquities. In Jeremiah, the spirit that writes God's laws on your hearts. In Lamentations, I was the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, the river of life bringing healing to the nations. In Daniel, the fourth man in the fire. In Hosea, I was the ever faithful husband pursuing my unfaithful bride. In Joel, I was the restorer of all that the locusts have eaten. In Amos, I was your burden bearer. In Obadiah, the judge of all the earth. In Jonah, the prophet cast out into the storm so that you could be brought in. In Micah, the everlasting ruler born to us in Bethlehem. In Nahum, the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, your reason to rejoice even when our fields are empty. In Zephaniah, I am the great reformer. In Haggai, Haggai, the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, the pierced son, whom every eye on earth will one day behold. And in Malachi, I am the son of righteousness, rising with healing in my wings. Can somebody say amen? But the Bible doesn't end there, does it? He wasn't, he wasn't just promised. He came. Amen. In Matthew, he's the king of kings. In Mark, he's the son of God. In Luke, he's the savior born to us in the city of David. Christ the Lord. In John, he's the word became, become flesh dwelling among us. In Acts, he is the Christ, the risen Lord, proclaiming salvation to the nations. In Romans, the justifier. First and second Corinthians, the spirit at work in the churches. In Galatians, he's the righteousness imputed to us by faith. In Ephesians, our righteous armor. Philippians, the God who meets our every need. Colossians, the firstborn of all creation. First and second Thessalonians, he's descending from heaven with a shout, coming to meet us together in the clouds. First and second Timothy, the one mediator between God and man. Titus, our faithful pastor. In Philemon, our redeemer, restoring us to service. In Hebrews, our great High priest in James, the life at work in our faith. First and second Peter, our living cornerstone. First, second, and third John, our advocate, pleading his righteousness in our place. In Jude, he is God, our Savior, the one who keeps us from stumbling and presents us blameless in his presence with great joy. And in Revelation, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the lame, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's always, only ever been about Jesus. He is the center of it all. Praise his holy name. He is worthy of our praise.
Jesus in the Old Testament, but then also Jesus in the New Testament. We see in this section what the New Testament teaches about who Jesus is and what he did. Now, we've already been talking about who he is. We don't have time really to deal uh, with all the scriptures that, that teach the doctrine of Christ. There's some, uh, some in your outline that uh, can give you a starting place uh, to talk about uh, the, the, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Understand, though, that when he was born, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, when he took upon himself flesh, he took on a second nature. He, first of all, pre-existent before the world began, in all of eternity, he first of all had the nature of deity. But now he has taken on to himself the nature of humanity. And now he is the eternal God-man. He has a body. He was born with a body. He died on the cross with a body. He was buried in a body. He rose from the dead in a body. He ascended in a body. And one day the angel said, He's coming back just as you saw him go. He's the eternal God man. I believe in heaven we'll still be able to see the scars upon our Lord. And Savior Jesus Christ. But I want us to focus now on on what he accomplished. What he did. What did he do? In short, he paid the price for our sin. So that we could be saved. Aren't you glad? He was born. Incarnated. So that he could die. That was the purpose. Matthew 1, 21, the angel said, He will save his people from their sins. John 3, 16, that the children so beautifully quoted today. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. That is, be eternally separated from God in hell. You should not perish, but have eternal life. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We've heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Amen? Spread the tidings all around, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Hey, are you here today and you don't know Jesus? Are you here today, you're lost? You recognize the fact that you're still lost in your sin? You've never come to Jesus and given your heart, your life, To him, you've never bowed the knee. You've never humbled your heart. You've never received him. You've kept going your own way, rejecting him. You've never had time for him. You can come to Jesus today. He'll save you. Amen? Jesus saves. 2 Corinthians 5.21 for he made him. Who is, who is he and who, who is him? He is the eternal father. God the father made him. That is Jesus the eternal son. To be who knew no sin. He made him to be sin for us. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the holy, that's the, 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 that's the fantastic exchange where Jesus took everything about me that, that was evil, bad, sinful, against the word and will of God, and he took it and upon himself on the cross and washed it away so that I could have peace with God. And then not only that, he took his own righteousness and put all of his good everything that's good everything that's righteous everything that's wonderful and holy he put that onto my account what a wonderful exchange that is the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ he paid the price of our sin as the sacrifice on the cross 
so that we would not have to pay for our own sin. And now we, by faith in Him, who He is and what He did on the cross, are able to have His life, His righteousness, His relationship that lasts forever. Substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, that is, in the body, that's important, but made alive by the Spirit. Friend, I don't know if you know that old song. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. Now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. The whole day long, Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Aren't you glad for that? That's what he did. Amen? Amen. But number four, not only Jesus at creation, Jesus in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus now. What's Jesus up to now? What's he doing now? Well, a couple of things, and this is not exhaustive by any means, but I want to talk to you about a couple of things that he's doing. First of all, he's working through his followers, his disciples, by the power of his spirit to make disciples of all the nations. I mean, that's what you see in the book of Acts. That's what you see in all of the gospels. The great commission is for his disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations. Amen. That's what you see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me or my witnesses to, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to, and to the end of the earth. Now I just ask a question to you. Child of God, disciple of Jesus Christ, how are you involved in the Great Commission? How are you participating in making disciples of all the nations? A family member? A neighbor? A friend? Someone you work with? How are you involved in that great commission? But secondly, Jesus is preparing a place for his own. John 14, 2 through 3. In my Father's house are many mansions or rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Two and a half weeks ago, my sweet mom, mama went to be with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Two Saturdays ago, I believe it was, June 8th, my, my dad and my mom would have been married 63 years. That afternoon, there were two memorial services. The, the afternoon service in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where she uh, was raised and where all of us children were raised in Fernandina, I preached one of those memorial services and I referred to this passage. My dad is a state-licensed contractor, a master carpenter. And several years ago, he built, her, he built her a simple but a beautiful home out in the woods on, on the farm where my sister and her husband uh, live and, and uh, where Clay's family owned the land. Beautiful home. She loved it. But can you imagine King Jesus... Carpenter, Jesus, having been gone 2,000 years, preparing a place. Can you imagine what kind of place that must be? For mama, and for those of, uh, of your loved ones who knew Christ and gave their life to Jesus Christ and have gone on before, and all of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone to save us. Can you imagine what he's been making and getting ready, preparing a place for us. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. He's preparing a place for, for those who are prepared. Amen? Are, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Well, number five, Jesus in the future. Revelation 21 through 22 gives us a picture of the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the river of life, and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 21, 23, the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Listen, folks, the glory, the radiant glory of Jesus Christ will shine in glory, shine in heaven, shine in the new Jerusalem. There'll be no need for the sun, the moon, or the stars there. Amen. He will be the light that lights up the whole place. In Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we see that God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue should confess and uh, of uh, things in heaven and things on the earth and things under the earth and every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's worthy. He's worthy. One day he'll take his place. Amen. Amen. Forever as the king of glory. It's already his. But one day what I'm saying is every single being will bow the knee and declare that Jesus is Lord. Whether you're saved, whether you're lost, whether you don't know him, we'll all bow and proclaim Jesus is Lord. Wouldn't it be better if we did that here and now? Wouldn't it be better for you to humble yourself now, for you to realize that you need Jesus now? That he is Lord. That he, he is who he said he was. And he proved it when he rose from the dead. Wouldn't it be better now to recognize that he is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And say, Lord, I surrender. I humble myself before you. I receive you. I surrender to your lordship. I give you my life. I'll live for you the rest of my life. Be my Lord and Savior, my master. And finally, in Revelation twenty two seventeen, we see the invitation of God by the power of the Spirit and continuing work through His church. When He says, and the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let us, and let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. In closing, I want to ask you a question today. Do you hear him calling? Do you hear him calling you? Have you heard his call? Do you want to come to Jesus? Can you hear him calling? Come. Do you desire to taste of that water of life freely that flows freely? You can come. By the authority of God's holy word, he's inviting you to come today. You say, hey, you say Pastor Philip, how, how would I do that? I need that. I know I need Jesus Christ. How, how would I do that? Well, it's very simple. Not easy. You never see the term easy in terms, in terms of giving your life to Christ. But it's simple, simple enough for even these young kids who came this week to recognize they needed Jesus and they gave their lives to him. Simple enough for any adult, simple enough for anyone in the room to call out to him and give their life to him. We cloud it and we complicate it sometimes, but it really is simple. First of all, 
recognize that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Secondly, and you need to recognize that not just in your head, but in your heart, that you've sinned against holy God. Secondly, you need to recognize that you need a Savior. And that Jesus is the only one who can save you. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? It means the wages, the, 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 that which we have earned because of the way we've sinned against holy God. Going our own way. Doing things our own way. Rejecting Him and trusting in something else other than Him. That sin separates us from Almighty Holy God. And so we have to recognize that we need Jesus to save us from our sin. The wages of sin is death. Death simply is is literally talking about eternal separation from God. Our sin separates us from, from Him. And then thirdly, we need to understand... That we need to recognize that he, he loves us. That He loves you and offers you a free gift to have forgiveness and eternal life. Again, Romans 6.23, it didn't stop there for the wages of sin is death. I'm so thankful it kept going. Aren't you? It says, but the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. You can't pay for it. You can't earn it or deserve it. Hey, we've already earned our wage. We've already earned what we deserve. What we deserve is is death and hell, eternal separation because of our sin. He's already shown us that. But the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Your name's Austin, right? Austin, if I were going to, if I were going to give you something, if I reached in my, my wallet and, gave, and, reached, and pulled out something to give you, how would you receive it? With joy? That's a good answer. <laughs> You'd reach out and take it, wouldn't you? That's, that's like faith. You'd just reach out and take it, wouldn't you? You'd probably say thank you, wouldn't you? See, that's what happens when we give our lives to Jesus and when we receive the gift of eternal life. He offers something that we cannot have in ourselves. We don't earn it. We can't deserve it. He offers it as a free gift. All we can do is receive it by faith. And folks, the rest of our lives and for the rest of eternity, that's why I'm going to be Thanking and praising and worshiping the Lord Jesus for the rest of my life and for all of eternity is because of what He's done. I know I don't deserve it, but I sure am thankful for it. The free gift of God. Fourth, you just need to repent and receive Him as Lord and Savior. That word repent. Is a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. It's like saying, you know, uh, Isaiah 53 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned our own way. We've gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so it's like I'm, I recognize, Lord, if I keep going the way I'm going, if I keep going my way, if I keep trusting in this thing, if I keep trusting in these things, you're, you're, you're following something. Whatever you've been following, whatever you've been trusting in, whatever way you've been going, that's your way. And you realize, you say, God, if I keep going that way, it's going to lead me to destruction and separation, death. I don't want to go that way anymore. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of direction and says, Lord, I want to go your way. I want to give my life to you. I put my faith and trust in you and you alone to save me, to change me, to give me the gift of eternal life, to give me a relationship that lasts both here and now and forever. Have you done that? 
Have you answered the call of, of Christ on, on your heart and life? Would you bow your heads with me? I want to ask for Shane to come. We didn't have an altar call in the early service. I think we'll go ahead and have a, have a song. If you need to come and give your life to Jesus Christ, I'll be here. Jimmy's here. He, he, can, he can step forward this way if you'd like to come and speak to one of us. or If you know someone in the room that you have confidence in and, and you trust and, and they can help you, by all means, please don't leave if you're not sure, if you have questions or, or concerns. But listen, you say, Pastor Philip, how can I do that? Well, you just call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. You can do that in your own words. You don't need anybody else, really, to help you do that if you understand what the Scriptures has said to you. If you understand that Jesus is calling you today, by faith you can call out to Him. Give your life to Him. Receive Him as your Lord, your Master, your King. Turn from your sin. Turn from whatever you've been trusting, whatever you've been following. Turn to Him. Put your faith and trust in Him, Christ alone. He'll save you. He'll change you. He'll run the money changers out. He'll change your life around. He can give you a relationship that lasts forever. I can lead you in a prayer. It'd just be words to me because I've already given my life to Jesus Christ. But if this can help you, Maybe you just like to pray after someone. That's fine. Maybe you have already asked in your heart, and that's fine. But just pray to the Lord. Say something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. I've been going my own way. I need to come to you. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you're the Son of God. And you're the only one who can save me. Please come into my heart. Into my life. Forgive me of all my sin. Past, present, and future. Save me. Change my life around. Help me. From here on out. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me. Give me the strength that I need for the rest of my days to follow you. And just thank him. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. We're going to stand. Let's, ask, let's have everybody else, everybody to stand. We'll be here at the front. If you need someone to talk to, please come talk.